magic lies within the trails we ride. Welcome back to the Journey On Podcast. This is Robin Schiller, and I'm taking over the microphone this week for a little special series that I thought up. You know, Warwick has had so many interesting guests and talented horse people on the podcast. I got to thinking that it would be nice to meet some of their significant others. You know, I already know some of them, and they're incredible human beings. So I thought I would do a series on some of the strong women behind the men that Warwick has interviewed on the podcast. If you listen to episode 50, I went ahead and answered the questions that I'll be asking some of my guests so you can get an idea of the behind the scenes and the behind the relationship kind of thing. So this week, I I talked to the incredibly talented Pia Steers. She is Dan Steers' wife, but more importantly, she's a mother, a veterinarian, and an accomplished horse trainer and competitor in her own right. I met Pia, I've met Pia a couple times, but she actually gave me a Roman riding lesson in uh, in New Zealand at Equidays. And let me tell you, it's way harder than it looks. But she did keep me on top of the horses, (laughs) for the most part. And uh, she does a great, great job teaching. So she's just a wonderful, wonderful lady. And we had a lovely discussion that I'm excited to share with you today. So here is my talk with Pia Steers. All right, I am here with Pia Steers from, where do you live right now? Well, I'd, I'd call it Tamworth in New South Wales, Australia. So, you know, we're just okay. outside of Tamworth town, but it, it works well for us. Right, and Pia is the wife of Dan Steers, who is half of the Double Dans. Um, and she is the first significant other that I am interviewing. So we're going to get through these questions that everybody wanted to know and um, get to know more about Pia. So why don't you just kick it off? Tell us, you know, tell us about your background, who you are, and and then we'll get into the whole how you met Dan and, and all of that. No worries. Well, I've been involved in horses all my life. I grew up, my dad had a thoroughbred stud. Um, it evolved in the breeding and then yearling sales. We didn't do any racing with the thoroughbred stud. And he also had Australian stock horses. So we're involved, again, in the breeding, training, showing, competing, camp drafting side of things. So horses have been my life since day dot. Yeah. Um, That's and then, familiar. <laughs> yeah, so it was sort of a natural progression of, you know, the vet was at our farm three days a week scanning mares. So I said, well, I'll be a vet. Um, and, you know, straight after school went and did my vet degree and enjoyed that career from there on in. Um, and that sort of worked obviously complements well with what Dan and I do. Um, so, yes, I'm definitely not the professional trainer. Uh, for, well, not a professional full-time trainer, obviously, uh, just a part-time one. Right. And where did you grow up? I grew up in D- Darden up in WA. Um, and so we were on the west coast of Australia and it was a nice area, you know, there's it's dry in summer and we irrigated and in winter it rained and we had green grass all year round. So a little bit different to the droughts conditions that we have experienced since moving to Tamworth at times. Yeah. So, so you said you were, so you went to vet school. Where did you go to vet school? I went to vet school in, at Murdoch 
in WA. Again, it was about two hours from home, which suited me perfectly. I'd move to Perth for Monday through to Friday, usually Friday midday for me, and then I'd come home and either we'd shoot off to a competition or, um, you know, just come back to the farm and work on the farm on the weekends with Dan and Dad. Okay. How big was the farm? Um, it's 280 acres, so we normally ran between 150 to 200 thoroughbred horses there. Um, and, you know, the feeding, that was a good part-time job for me. Going through uni, it meant I think Dad liked it because it meant I came home and visited him every weekend. Um, and I liked it because it was actually a pretty easy job and it was something I was used to and very flexible as well. So, um, yeah, and then just right. ride young horses when time permitted or, or the competition horses during competition season. Okay, and camp drafting? Yeah, uh, mainly camp drafting at that stage. Yeah, a lot of camp drafting. So that worked well that Dan and I did that together. And um, through to fourth and fifth year of uni, we were on a lease property and we had lots of access to cattle. So we'd work cattle all week and then camp draft every weekend. So it was a pretty good life over in WA. Yeah. So so where did Dan come in? How did you meet? Well, we met when I – well, we first met when I was 15 – um, he was the farrier's apprentice, came to Dad's thoroughbred stud and, was, you know, that was easy. It was like, oh, look, young boy and he's my age and <laughs> he's into horses and so I'd also work from there. Um, we were 16 um, when oh, he was 17 when we first got together and we've been together for nearly 20 years now. Wow. I didn't see. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. just growing up together really. It's worked. It's well. It's good. Yeah. And you have two kids. Yeah, we do. We have two kids. They've just uh, five and nearly seven. Um, she's very, Sarah's very keen to tell us that she's very nearly seven, not six anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they're over here, obviously, with us, and they enjoy the horses and the, the country lifestyle as well. Okay. So, and all right. So, let me back up. So, you guys have been together for a long time. What, um, at what stage did the whole, Dan and Dan start like that so, yeah. relationship. Yeah, they um well, they met we'd probably been together for about four or five years when they met. Um so we met yep. at a camp draft and then it progressed on to doing some entertainment shows together in El Cabello in Western Australia. They got a job together. Um and then from there, you know, always uh, keen to shoot for the stars. So it was like, well that's it, we're moving to the East Coast. Western Australia is nice, but it's uh, a lot smaller than the east coast of Australia, so in terms of horsey, horsey opportunities. So that was our choice. So we moved across in 2009 to New South Wales, um, and that was an interesting move because Dan James, he's sort of a fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants kind of guy, which works well. He had two shows booked and no more plans after that. Like, we'll get to the east coast to make a plan. So um, um, definitely I had to leave a good vet job that I'd had, um, and it was definitely a long-term job that I had, so it was sad to leave that one, um, to move to the East Coast, and I'm the very calculated one in the relationship. So I had a logbook, and we wrote down every bit of fuel that was across the Nullarbor Plains to know how much it was per litre, to know that if we got to the East Coast, we did our two jobs, we got no more money, we got our bank balances down, how much money do we need to get back home with the amount of fuel? Um, so that was sort of my role in that one. Yeah, That's so, awesome. Um, it sounds familiar again. Yeah. And, and then we had friends, family, family friends. They said, you know what, go until you've got no more money left and then we'll pay for your fuel to get home if that's what happens. So, you know, I sort of. And obviously, yeah, obviously it, it all worked out. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah. know, it all did well. I was going to say we had six horses, two dogs and two of us in the truck and we're moving east and we've got, you know, we had friends to stay with but we had no permanent residence at that stage. So it was a, a big thing to do at that age. Yeah. And where were you working? Where You said you left a vet job. Um, so yes, what? I had a job down with Haradines in Bunbury. So that was a really lovely equine and small animal clinic, but I did predominantly equine work there. And it was a lot of thoroughbred reproduction, which was what I was used to um, and what I loved right. as well. So it was a nice, it was a good job and I didn't have plans of leaving there. Um, and it was always, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm moving east. But if I come back, I'd like to come here again. <laughs> Keep the door open. Yes, yeah, certainly. But then when she, so you made the move and did you go back to work? Did you um, I, so I did, kind of talk us through that? Yeah, I sort of, moving to the East Coast, I'm like, wow, the opportunities. There are so many amazing big vet clinics, you know, the ones you like. If you get a job in one of those, just, you know, keep on going, get into specialty, really thrive in the veterinary industry. And, you know, I had ambitions that we might, or I suppose ideas that we might end up in an area close to one of those where we found a place to lease, which was a great place for us to lease, like it really suited us at the time. Unfortunately, the nearest equine clinic was an hour away, so it just wasn't going to be feasible, you know, particularly with after hours. Um, so I ended up getting a job and I had to beg, borrow and steal to get the job at a local mixed animal clinic. Um, but, you know, they said, oh, they'll, they'll make an allowance for me and let me in on a few different conditions. And, you know, I sort of had to polish up a bit on my cows, sheep, pigs and alpacas. Um, thankfully, I tried to see equine most of the time, um, and I worked part time in that clinic there for a couple of years. Yeah. And so that brings us to to now. So you, the, you have the kids. You live on a property in Tamworth, and so what is your? So what is it? What does the business look like now? Well, the business now, in terms of veterinary side of things, for me, I when we moved to Tamworth six years ago. I started a mobile practice of my own. So I'd already been doing a little bit of work. So I mainly do reproduction and dental work. Where possible, I have them come on site to our farm. I've set up a good little clinic, um, just a small scale, obviously, um, with all of the rest of our horse facilities. So I do a bit of vet work there, but it is limited due to the fact that Dan's often away with clinics and shows and I've got two young kids and, you know, I have clients, they ring me up, we've got a cut leg, can you come and see it? And Yes, I can, but you know what? I'm going to have to bring two kids, or there's some other vet clinics in town that can help you. Um, but I enjoy the work, so I try to do as much as I can, but still make sure that it fits in with our life as well. Yep. And so you mentioned before we we started recording that you that you compete as well. And so so tell me what, um, like, how many horses do you have of your own? How many are outside horses? And what what are what is the show schedule like and the clinic schedule like? Sure. Well. Since having kids, and I think I've sort of done the classic and I didn't plan on doing the classic, of, you know, you've really cut down on how much you end up getting out there and showing and, you know, particularly being on the east coast of Australia. So all of our family, Dan and mine, are on the west coast. So we don't have that family support of, you know, our nan can come over and look after the kids or, you know, if I go to a show, we've got to work it out between the two of us. So my showing since um, having children is definitely reduced a lot and I've just been getting back into it in the last two or three years and it's really been I think dabbling is the better word rather than showing <laughs> um you know in the last two years I've done some cow horse competitions for the first time I've done some Stocklands challenges which is sort of like a reigning style pattern and then a camp draft component as well um the camp drafting is definitely my strength at this stage 
Um, but I, I'm working on the rest of it. I have shown stock horses recently as well through to national level, but it's on a very, you know, we laughed that we went to nationals this year. Dad took three four-year-olds, all of clients, and I took one four-year-old because that was realistically he can work three horses in the time that it takes me to get one done <laughs> the rest of my jobs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny. Um, in the fr- In the first episode, I answered all these questions, and I introduced this concept that um, somebody told me they named it the invisible workload. And so I think that's what you're kind of referring to, like as the mom and, you know, that we have so many things that we do. And there's also then this invisible workload that we take on, right? So I I thought, I'm going to just make a list and see how many I can come up with. And I had, I had like covered a piece of paper, but just everything from, you know, shopping for food, remembering birthdays, you know, paying the bills, keeping track of everything, you know, there's just a gazillion of those invisible workload things. So what, what if, does that spark anything in you? Like, oh yeah, this is, this is, yes, this sounds familiar. And here's some of the things I do. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, you know, we're sort of a little too young for too many extracurricular activities at this stage. Um, You know, we've got on the swimming lessons, but you know, the ponies like, you know, that's probably a big thing is you know, once they're on the arena with Dan, he sort of, he steps in and helps out. But in terms of, you know, catching the ponies, getting the kids ready to even just to ride, like put riding clothes on, you know, it often is a dress and gumboots, but we're out there, um, you know, booking in for pony club and that stuff. And then, yeah, like you said, all of the household jobs as well, you know, the, the cooking, what's for dinner? That seems to be a really common question. And I'm like, oh, we'll find some meat and veggies. We, we eat, we eat healthy for sure. Um, but yeah, it's always in the back of your mind that something you need to get organized and then, you know, general household and garden and property maintenance as well, actually, is a really big thing around here that I take a fairly big role in. Do you, how many acres do you have there? We're on 120 acres here. So, um, and probably more horses than we need. Um, (laughs) that's, that's always a constant battle around the place, but you can never work out who doesn't deserve to have their place here. So they all get stuck. So how many is too many? Um, there's currently or probably 50 horses on site at the moment. Um, you know, some of those are managed in yards, but where possible we like to manage them in group paddocks and keep them, you know, happy with their companions. Uh, we're fortunate. You know, we have this really lovely rocky outcrop on our property, and so that's just one paddock worth. And so we put our youngsters, uh, they were yearlings, I suppose they are now two-year-olds as of the 1st of August, um, but we try and put the young horses out on the rocky hills so they get that bit of chance to be horses and workouts over some different terrain Um, but you know they're all in paddocks where they can have their companions around them right that's awesome okay I'll get into so so we've kind of covered some of some of the questions already how so how did um how did changing how did having kids change the dynamic for you two again we went in there completely naive we're like nope the kids are going to fit into our lifestyle like we're just going to keep on going along as we are we have a great life it'll be easy um and one kid was actually possible I think Zara did about 30 flights in the first two years of her life um you know I flew her to clinics one kid again I can get someone to help look after a baby you know before their two mobile was quite easy um you know we'd fly into clinic areas so that I could keep going on the road with Dan and we had it worked really well and then when number two came along, 
Tom, um, we decided that, you know what, it was time for me to step back and stay at home while he went on the road and he'd often take someone else on the road with him as well just to make it easier in terms of a teaching situation. And then, you know, along came school and, again, that sort of slowed us, has slowed us down a little bit and I think COVID's probably slowed us down more though. Um, yeah. You know, we're a year and a half into full-time schooling at this stage so we haven't had too much in terms of getting to clinics, getting to shows and all of that. But getting down to the arena as well, that sort of makes it a lot more difficult now. Um, but I'm the kids are now at a great age where they can come down and play in the sand or if they want to ride a horse, they're welcome to ride a horse. But Or they'll just occupy themselves in the hay shed for hours. Yeah, I think that I think you're over the worst part. You know, the, the when they're little, little, they're easy. But then that two to oh, when they first become mobile, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they eating? What are they doing? Where are they going? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, early on, yes, when I had one, I used to have the portacot down at the arena. And I was like, in the shade. Here's your portacot. There's food. There's drinks. There's toys in there. You can't hurt yourself. I can wave to you on every circle that I do. That's what we need if we're having an emotional day. <laughs> We just wave every circle, um, and that worked really well. But once there was two and they realised they could get out of the porticot, that was also different. Yeah, yeah. What um, what kind of so you so you guys have have started doing the shows? This is you know, of course, we're talking COVID, not out of COVID time. What other things do you do together? Do you have any hobbies outside of horses? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, so That's funny. a funny question. Um, we just do horses. Dan, Dan yeah. watches AFL football. Um, but other than that, it is horses. We go on a holiday. It's usually we run a clinic and have a holiday. We go yeah. to Western Australia to see family and run a clinic and ride horses. And we just do horses nearly 24-7. And I suppose that's what we both – it's normal for us. That's That's normal. Yeah. Yeah, when when people bring up that question, I'm like, what's the question again? Yeah, I just, hobbies. Yeah, I'm thinking. Oh, I suppose people maybe play tennis and ride bicycles or something. Um. <laughs> yeah, kind of a foreign question. Yes. Um, they want to know who wears the pants in the family. That's that's a tricky one. Um, it probably I would say is Dan. Um, just. On the basis Just, of a yeah. lot of stuff revolves around him, you know, it's his, you know, he's the one running the clinics, he's the one doing the entertainment shows, he's the one that has the most clients, horses in training, um, you know. So, in that regards, he makes a lot of a lot of the decisions around the place. But we do those decisions together. And how do you? So how is how do you support what he does? Um, so my role is I, I manage the merchandise side of our business. So you know, if we're going to a clinic, I either I organise all the merchandise or at least I've got someone who is able to do that role for me if I'm not able to be there. Um, we also have the online shop as well. So that side of things is what I do. Dan does a lot more of the social media side of things. It's probably, you know, I'm definitely the one in the background, not quite so in the forefront, you know, not getting all the photos taken. Um, so he does all of, all of that stuff. And horses in work, I some, you know, I've just started taking a few more horses on to work myself. Um, but predominantly Dan has all the horses, you know, clients' horses and our horses are a bit 50-50. Some of them, there's a very straight line down the middle of these are mine and these are yours and some of them there is a little bit of crossover on that as well. And then what other um, help do you have there? At, um, at well, at the moment we've just got one um, guy working for us, Oliver. He's been here for a few months. He's, he's really great. Um, 
it's probably a two-person role. We just had another uh, lovely young girl. She's just gone off to work for Sarah, and she wanted to do healing sales, so we'll let her <laughs> go and explore the world of healing sales and see how she goes. Um, yeah, there's probably like a one-and-a-half-person job here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably there's more like a five-person yeah. job, and you're doing four of them. Yes. Uh, yeah, probably. financially, there's a one-and-a-half-person job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, great opportunity then for, you know, the young staff to be able to step up and work some of the young horses and get a feel on some of our older horses as well and, and have some of their horses in work as well so they can have a project that they can continue on their own and, you know, work out where the holes in their program are. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I remember right, you've, you've had oh. or have a, a pretty robust intern program. Yeah, right? yeah we you, do. You have, uh, yeah. It's, it's not a formal program as such because it probably depends on the background of the people a lot that come in and where they want to go to, you know, are they looking at being a professional horse person or is this, you know, a job, you know, they just want to work in the horse industry. Yep. Yeah, and then we do have one other, we have another lady, Kylie, and she's brilliant. She does all our office work from, she's interstate to us, um, but she manages clinic bookings, you know, all those inquiries. You run a clinic and people have a million questions and, we try and, you know, have as much information available to them, but there's still extra questions on top of it. So she does a great job yep. in terms of running clinics and organising the schedule for that, um, which saves me butting heads with Dan on trying to lock him down for a specific date. <laughs> yes. Yeah, How? so let's talk about that. Like, so you're kind of in the same situation as I am in some respects where, you know, we're trying to manage our husbands. Yeah, and yes. for me, it's been the hardest job I've ever had. And I've dealt with a lot of people in my career, you know. So do you want to say yes. anything about that? <laughs> yes, managing husbands definitely is um, a big task. And we, we've had, um, we've had originally we had Daz. Um, she was working in the role of doing the clinic bookings and the show bookings, and she was fabulous. And then Unfortunately, she suddenly passed away. So that, that was a few years back now and that we then had to get someone to step up to that role. So we had a young girl, Sophie, stepped up to that role and she, she did a great job. And when she was ready to go out and run her own business, Dan was trying to get me to run that role and I'm like, no, this is just not going to work for our relationship. Like, you know, I will manage what I can manage but trying to organise Dan into specific dates at specific times and booking four months in advance. Like he's a one-day-in-advance kind of guy is happy just to go, yep, let's do something tomorrow. Um, so, yes, I was definitely happy to get some help in an external manner for that regards in managing him. I should probably take that advice. <laughs> oh. um, all right, let's see. How do you, um, let's see. You've answered some of these just through us talking. Um, how do you support each other's growth and development? Um, I think we're really both supportive of each other, you know, in terms of our business is fluid. Like it's not this is what we've been doing and we've been doing it for 15 years, you know. At times we've now gone into a lot more clinics than we were doing, say, 10, even five years ago. Uh, doing the entertainment shows in Australia, it was enjoyable, but the entertainment shows were very difficult because they need you at a certain location at a certain date. So in terms of making a travel schedule, it got a little bit tricky. So with the clinics, we can run those. So if Stan wants to run more clinics, I support him in running more clinics. If he wants to get to more shows, 
um, in terms of competition shows, you know, we support through that with her. Well, let's sit down, work out what is feasible, what horses have we got in work, you know, can we justify going on the road for that length of time? Um, and myself, you know, I continue with the veterinary side of stuff to expand stuff. So, you know, Dan's supportive in that regards because he realises obviously it's going to benefit him as well, having those skills on site. And then as I want to show more, you know, I, I do require a lot of support from Dan. Um, I was recently a big show that I wanted to take my mare to and I wasn't able to get there just with kids and, and everything else. And so that was the first time he's actually taken my mare to a, a proper show. And it was nice that he could support me in that way. I was like, well, at least the mayor got there. You know, I didn't get there, but she got there. <laughs> yes. So that brings up another question. Again, very similar. You know, we're learning from our husbands. How is that for you? How is that? Do you, do you, how do you guys, yeah, how do you handle that? Um, it's not perfect. That's probably the best answer to that one. Um, you know, I think Dan, I, he needs reminding that, he's in the saddle like you know you might be riding 15 horses a day I'm riding one or two horses a day and not even every day at times um you know there might be stages where I might on a big day get through four between kid jobs but that's sort of all so when I go down there and I'm sort of like, you know my horses aren't up to speed and are we on the right track and he's like you know even today he's sort of reminded I mean he's like well his horses are getting worked a minimum of five days a week you know when they're in full-time work five six days a week where might again like two or three days this week, they might get next week off, they might get four days the next week and then a fortnight off. Um, so when I'm coming out and sometimes getting a little bit frustrated, it's well, you know, you're doing as much as you can in that regards. I will ask him for specific help, but it just depends on his time frame as to how he's going. Um, we've yep. been able to do that one. And I'm just, like I said, just trying to get more hours again in the saddle as life has changed. So he's good about like, He'll he'll help you when you ask, but leave you alone when you when you don't. Yeah, no, he'll definitely. He's happy to leave me alone. <laughs> he's not really good, good. Yeah, he's just happy to keep doing. He'll do it, focus on his horse, leave me alone. Although sometimes I'm still going, I've got this problem. Next day, you know, I've got this problem. A week later, I'm like, you know, the problem I was telling you about, and then he looks and goes, Oh, you've got a problem. Like, yeah, I've been saying it for a week. Like I know it's there, and I know it needs to be fixed. But it's a matter of what for this horse is the best approach to this issue. Yep. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. We, um, we always talk about that. You shouldn't take lessons from somebody you've seen naked. (laughs) (laughs) And it probably is with whatever. It's not just horses. Like, you know, it's hard to learn from, it is hard to take, you know, because usually when you're in a teaching situation, well, at least in the horses for me, you know, you're, you're getting told what's not working you know, fix this, fix that. And for in, at least in my case, that's hard to take from your husband. (laughs) (laughs) I like to hear what I'm doing right sometimes. And it's just, you know, it's not the nature of it. I know it's not, it's coming from a good place. He's trying to help, but you know, what I hear, I can hear the same thing from somebody who is not my husband, you know, and it sounds completely different. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So I've been, I, I do try to get to a few clinics and see a few other clinicians and professional horse people as well just to keep it ra- well-rounded but a lot of the time I go oh that is the same stuff we're doing like yeah you know it's not a nice reminder for that yeah 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 they know what they're talking about but it is hard sometimes yeah. how has um your horse journey changed since you were married has it has it changed has it I mean 
And I think because we were together so young, um, you know, we just grew up together. Like, you know, I moved out of home um, when I started doing my year 12, which is our final year of schooling and our examinations. I moved out of home and Dan and I rented a granny flat together. So for the weekends I was at his place and so we've we've just grown up really since we were kids. So it was moving out of home, getting into horses. He was riding my dad's horses. Um, then, you know, he was getting a team of his own horses along the way as well. We shared horses. So I think marriage was just another step for us. You know, we were together for nine years before we actually got married because we just dragged our feet a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think marriage as such is just one of those steps that you did along the way. Um, and our horses have changed and evolved throughout the years. You know, I probably, I come from with the stock horse background, but Dad used to cross through a lot of thoroughbreds into there as well. So, you know, they were prettier, bigger, rangier horses at times. Um, and Dan's a lot more into the quarter horses. So that's definitely where our program has gone. Um, particularly in the last few years as well, um, and everything from your cutting to your reining lines in there and cow horse. Yep. So more towards the quarter horse style. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. towards the quarter horse style. So with the Australian stock horses, which is, again, our background, um, there is a lot of diversity within that breed and, you know, having the cow horse in there and, you know, the quarter horse influence has really strengthened what we want to focus on with those horses. Yep. Cool. So what's the hardest thing about being married to Dan as with regards to his, you know, what he does? Um, so, I mean, you guys see him in the public eye. He gets to a clinic and he talks all day. He gets to a show and he talks all day and then he comes home and he won't talk. He's like, no, nah, I've done it. I've done all my talking. Um, and I think it's a girl and a guy thing, you know, like girls. I find tend to like to debrief. You know, you go out somewhere, you go to a show, you come back and talk about the show. We're dead. No. We are finished. Like, let's just draw the line, have some quiet time, start again tomorrow. So that's probably one of the hard things that, you know, is not evident when you first meet him, but how yep. much he does talk in the public eye. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, what's the best thing? That we can do our life. Like, we have our whole life together. Like, you know, we, we wake up in the morning, we're on our farm, we go and ride horses, we work together, you know, We've got kids coming into that life as well. And the fact that because we're not too industry specific, we can, you know, diversify where we want to. So if we say, hey, let's go do some cow horse this year or let's go and do some camp drafting this year or let's go and do some stock horse showing, we can do any of that that we want. And that's really, really fortunate. So it works so well together for us. Yep. Awesome. What um what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned from Dan? Um, I think just to treat horses differently, you know, in terms of their training program, you know, not everyone fits into, you know, you can't have a set rigid program. You need to be flexible. For, you know, you've got a horse that's more flighty or a horse that's more sensitive or a horse that, you know, doesn't really want to be there and wants to shut down, I think how he approaches those different horses has been something that's been really, really essential to my learning. Yep. What do you, what do you, what's the most important lesson that you've taught him? Um, how? <laughs> These are tricky questions. Just one. Uh, just one. <laughs> no, there's probably a hundred. <laughs> well, um, probably just to, 
you know, get life a little bit organised. Um, you know, he's quite happy just to, like I said, next we're going to a show tomorrow. I say we were going to a show or a clinic. Let's go to a clinic tomorrow. Dan would be, what horse are we packing? And I'm like, you need to know what horses are going so we can pack the right gear. He goes, oh, I'll work it out in the morning which one we're taking. Um, so, you know, trying to get him and trying to teach him to maybe be planned a week in advance what horses we're taking on the weekend rather than the night before. Keep chipping away. You'll you'll get there. <laughs> Warwick's about, you know, Warwick packs the morning of whenever, not for horse shows. He's pretty good about that. In fact, I'm super glad that I, I, there are a few things for, that I just don't do because I can't do them to his expectation. So ironing is one, which is great. Yep. And I, and I'm so glad his mom, his mom ironed everything as a kid. She would iron <laughs> the towels and the sheets oh, no. and so I could never live up to the ironing standard. So I just don't iron, which is awesome. I love and we're on the same page. I'm like, yep, Dan does all his show ironing. You iron 15 shirts, you know, just have this big stack yep. of them hanging up, ready to go. I'm like, cool. I have no need to step in and start doing that. Nope. And the other thing, luckily, is packing for the shows because he likes it in a specific, like if it was up to me, we'd be packed fairly early, but it, you know, it might not be in the fashion that, you know, makes sense to him when he's unloading. I just kind of throw stuff in. And he's very he's very particular about it. So really all I have to do is pack the boxes that need to go and then he does all of the rest. And he's getting better about it not being done just on the day. But packing for for trips, he's always the morning of. Drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah I'm definitely. still trying to get him to to organize that way. So yeah, keep chipping away. <laughs> You'll get it. Um, what do you, so that's probably the same, what what you wish they would learn from you. So more of that probably. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit of like pre-planning. Let's call it that. What happens when you disagree with him on like horsemanship matter? Like a horse-related matter? Oh, horse-related thing? We usually just go and do our own thing. Um, we are both very independent um, and I think, you know, we've always grown up both of us being very independent within life and within our relationship as well. So I think when we just disagree, we just put a little wall up and want just go, you know, if it's your horse. And I think on that regards, because so many of the horses are mine or his, you know, or they're client's horses for him or they're client's horses for me. Right. So that if you're going to disagree, that luck is your horse. You do what you want um, and same thing for me. You know, we, we and will. you're responsible in the end anyway. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I was going to say whatever the product be at the end of that. Um, and as we know, there's many ways to approach different tasks as well, you know, and some things are going to work well for one horse and not so well for the other horse. So it's a matter of working out what, what's needed to be done. How do you figure out who's who gets which horses? Do you get first choice or? Um, <laughs> yeah, I do like to operate on the dim system. I just, I did that one. <laughs> Um, but no, it, it sort of comes back from very early on. I had some good competition mares. Dan has fought in a few horses over the years. So if it has a foal and it's his mare, it's his foal until we make some trade. Um, you know, every now and again, we trade. Every now and again, I like last year, I had one that needed to be sold and I gave it to him essentially, which means nothing because I mean, we all operate together anyway. But I said, once yep. it's his horse, it's not my problem. You know, if you can't say, oh, that silly little horse of yours, 
It's like, nope, that's your horse and I gave it to you <laughs> and that's your problem now. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely that. So that br- you you said uh, something that triggered one of the other questions that I skipped over. But so um, people want to know what like has money ever been an issue for you guys? Do you is that some part of your relationship that's easy and good? Yeah. I guess it's all it's always sort of worked well. I think you know early on Dan was I mean he's with dad um, he was a farrier so he had enough money to. I'm going to use loosely support me when I was at uni. You know, I supported myself as well. I worked on the farm on the weekends. Um, so then we just sort of always did money together. I am yeah. definitely the conservative one on the money by an, a, a very long stretch. Um, so every now and again, if we need to, I will tighten up the purse strings very tightly, um, <laughs> <laughs> much to his disgust, and so then he can actually see the results of that. Um yeah, so we don't tend to clash too much on over money at all. And I think because we've never been particularly independent on that either. Yeah. Yeah. I I found that an interesting question that people want to know. But I guess, mm. you know, I, I think it's more probably coming from the viewpoint of maybe there is a horsey part of the couple and then a non-horsey part. And maybe there's some, you know, maybe there's some fighting over money because of the horses I don't you know I can see that happening but yeah it's similar with us like yeah that's the only way I can think of why they would ask that question that maybe you know yeah someone has a lot of money you know someone's got the good job and the other person has the horses and right works hard to pay for horses that they maybe don't ride as much or trying to justify it all as well and we are fortunate you know for us as same with you guys it is a business so right. you can justify spending the money there if it is yeah. you've got some investment return at some stage. Um, you know, buying yeah, and horses. thank God that we're that we both want to do the same thing. So you know, there's no clash about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan's always he's finding horses. Oh, what about this one? Oh, do we do we really need to spend that much money on on that horse at this stage? And a week later, we'll come up with a new one. What about this horse? <laughs> Every now and again, you know, we we do get them, uh, whether or not we've agreed on them or not. Um, but Dan's got a good eye for that kind of stuff. So, you know, if he commits yeah. to a horse, it's, you know, it always works out well. Awesome. Okay. What do you, so how are the demands of social media? How does that work for you guys? Is that, um, do you ever have to tell him, get off Facebook? <laughs> I would like to. Um, and the answer is, no, no, this is for work. Um, there's a lot of stuff that comes under the category of work, which I think is, probably not under the category of work. Um, but social media has been very good for our business. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's been exceptionally good for our business. It's our main marketing tool that we use these days. It's nice to be able to connect with people in that regards. And, I mean, I can also see there's a huge potential for it, so much more use within our business. It's just a matter of having time and staff and enthusiasm to do all of that when it's just nice to go out and work horses sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. You've answered those. Well, let me get to the questions that Dan answered on Warwick's. These were at the very bottom. (laughs) So he, so he answered, um, what accomplishment are you most proud of? And he, he responded that, and I'm just, you know, shortening it way up, um, you know, starting double Dan and, and really accomplishing what what he has with that. So what accomplishment are you most proud of? 
I think the double down business as well would really be that that number one thing. And it's one of those we didn't start like, you know, a 17-year-old's gone, we're going to build a big horsemanship business and we're going to, you know, we probably worked out we were going to do horses all our life, but it was more as Dan as a farrier and me as a vet and, you know, the horses were going to be go for a ride on the weekend and it just sort of snowballed and went from there. The clinician side of stuff, again, we were always exposed to clinicians throughout our, all our life. Like my dad used to run clinics as well, um, not, not a large number, but he would run smaller ones. And so that was where we were heading with all of that. Um, yes, I think awesome. the double down horsemanship yeah. would be the most proud thing. I mean, you know, aside from the, the typical family Kids. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, is that just the standard answer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What The other one he answered was, what is your relationship like with fear? Do you run towards it or do you find that you play things kind of close to your chest? And he... He kind of answered in that early on, he was, um, there was a point in time where he was getting bucked off a lot. And he got to the point where he's like, I, I don't want to get back. He, he was refusing to get on the Colts. And then he said, you know, as he learned more, he got more confident. So that was kind of his, his answer to that. So what is your relationship like with fear? Um, I would avoid it. Um, you know, <laughs> that's good. You know, how it's likely to bronc. I'm probably likely not to get on it. Um, but Dan is always the one that supports me through all of that as well. But, you know, so again, go to the horse. If I get on a horse and it does have a rough day that was unexpected or something like that, he's the one, that, you know, pull its head up, you know, you got this, keep going, and he's always there to support me. And I think, you know, through the veterinary industry as well, I don't know that quite fear is the right word, but, you know, you, there's emotional and stressful things that happen through that, and he's really yeah. great at supporting me through all of that as well. I don't know. I've never had to do it on my own to know. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely not one to always just charge on ahead. I sort of calculate and take a step back and see if this really is a good way to keep going. Yeah, I would imagine with, you know, you're dealing with large farm, farm animals and you have to be cautious and yep. keep yourself safe. Yeah. Okay. So what advice would you give people who are about to enter your occupation? And so Dan, um, Dan's response was that if you're not passionate and you don't have the drive, that it probably wasn't going to work <laughs> to be in the horse industry. Because, you know, everybody, he just says, everybody that he knows that is successful with horses, you know, they, it's not an overnight success. There's been a lot of work beforehand and it. You have to, you know, in the horse business, as we know, you have to be passionate about it. So what what advice would you give? I guess you could go veterinary. You know yeah. what you know what what advice would you give people? Um, in terms of the veterinary stuff, like I absolutely love it, and I think I was very aware of what I was getting myself into coming from you know the stud farm background. I was aware that you know horses live and horses die. That's a fact of life. You can do what you can, but there are days when my dad had the saying: you have livestock, you have dead stock. So going into that, I think I was prepared. But the emotional toll of all of that, that's something that, if, you know, in the veterinary industry you've got to be committed and you've got to be passionate, but you've also got to be able to let things go as well. So, you know, you have a debrief, say, you know, things didn't go as planned and no one was going to make that all survive. Um, that's something to understand that you're not responsible, you know, personally responsible for that stuff. Sometimes things happen. And, yeah, in the veterinary industry, being so compassionate as well, that can be really draining. So you just have to be able to 
just take a step back every now and again and just sort of reassess and say, yeah, I'm doing the best I can. I am still human at the end of the day. Um, but, you know, I remember days when you would just work 24-7 and, you know, it's a problem of burnout with vets, but at the same stage you want everything to go well. You know, I remember having a little puppy um, working mixed animal. There was a tiny little seizuring puppy and he was, you know, uh, probably about one kilo, maybe two kilos, and I slept in my bed with him on the floor next to me so that every time he'd seizure I'd wake up and treat him and, you know, that was something that I was prepared to do because I wanted the best thing to happen for that animal. Um, but, yeah, you can't, can't kind of think of it. The general veterinary work is what I'm talking about here as, you know, a nine-to-three job and you go home and you don't think about it because it's always in the back of your mind. Um, right. Yeah, that's probably it. And, yeah, the passion for the horses side of things. Again, you know, growing up with the horses, you know that you work on Christmas Day and you feed horses on Christmas Day and you feed horses on your birthday and you feed horses every day. And you go to a show and you might compete at the top level in your country or state or wherever you are, but you will still be mucking out horses and you will still be brushing horses and you'll still be, you know, cleaning gear. You know, you will have some help along the way as well. Don't get me wrong in that regard. There's plenty of help and we all appreciate the help. But there's still those little jobs that have to be done. So with the horse industry, you don't get to the top and just sit there and think that life is all pretty. There's still hard, hard work to be done. Yeah, I was uh, when we went to the World Equestrian Games and some of the other disciplines had grooms. We were like, "What? What is that? What is that? You mean you don't you don't get your own horse ready?" Yeah, yeah that was that was foreign foreign yeah. to us. Yeah, we've we've covered so many of the questions that were asked, and it's been so great to get to know Pia Steers a little bit better, and she gives us a little bit of insight into into what it's like, you know being married to Dan. I know we can't publicize all of what it's like to be married to Dan, just like I couldn't (laughs) publish what it's like to be (laughs) with Warwick all the time. Um, But I think they're a lot alike. And I think we're a lot alike. You know, we're, I think, you know, we're strong, capable, intelligent women. And, you know, we support what they're doing and their passion. And, um, and we love what, what we're doing too. Um, but I think, you know, just it, what's dawned on me is that, wow, they are, you know, both extroverts. They both talk a lot. They're both funny as heck, you know, they're no wonder why they get on so well, you know, when, when they're together, it's, it's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, no, it is good to see that camaraderie within the equine industry. You know, we're not just all isolated people out there and, you know, it's good to see someone like, you know, I love watching what you're doing as well, Robin. Like I see you've been showing recently and done really well and it's great to see that you have your side of things as well and I think that's important to have that little bit of independence as well as, you know, be able to work together and, and support each other in a, you know, both ways. You support your husband and the husband supports you as well. So I think that is really great to see as a role model what a great job you do. Yeah, well, well thank you. Thank you very much. Well, we'll wrap it up there and, and thank everybody for listening. And if they want to find Pia, they can they can find her um, right connected to the Double Dan. Your email, I don't I don't yes, I won't give the email out, but no, you, my yeah. contact details are on the website, particularly through running the merchandise yeah. side of things. Um, but no, I'm always happy to have a yeah. chat to someone if you know someone's got some questions about about the industry or something else. Always happy to have a chat. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Journey On podcast. Thanks, Robin. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Journey On podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 650 full-length training videos on his online video library. 
at videos.warwickshiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.